0: Hey, before we uh, jump into the sermon, I have some exciting news I'd like to share. I shared it with you last week. Okay. Um, but we, uh, we're just about finished with the uh, Grace Impact Center. At some point in the next couple of weeks, that's not going to work. Um, at some point in the next couple of weeks, uh, we've got to get you guys all over there to see this. The, the transformation of that part of the building is nothing short of miraculous. We have pictures, and I'm going to put a, a, a kind of a slideshow together to show you from beginning to end what it looked like. But we are we're finishing off the Grace Impact Center, and one of the exciting things that we've done over the last couple of weeks is we hired a pastor of Sports Ministries. His name is Kevin. And his wife's name is Kim, and Kevin's going to come up right now. Kim's already up here. She plays keyboard in the back there, and Kevin is going to just kind of share with you. It's just a pleasure to this have you like on s- staff. I'm standing
1: over there, yeah, exactly. okay, what do I'm waiting, waiting for now? you. <laughs>
0: this is Kevin Schweiger and Kim.
1: Hey, well, thank you for that uh, warm welcome. We've already felt very, very welcome. I've actually been attending here for close to a, a year now. Uh, this is my wife, Kim, the lovely and talented, and uh, she's been playing in the band and will continue to do so. We also have a 21-year-old son who's back in the area working after graduating from University of Northwestern Ohio. And then we have a freshman girl who's uh, in Anderson University in, over in Indiana. But uh, we're just real, real excited to be a part of the staff team, to be a part of you guys and the family of the church. And uh, you might just wonder, you know, what in the world do we need a a minister of sports and recreation? I was actually a uh, a minister of sports and recreation at a church in Lebanon for about five years. And I had a really good friend who said, yeah, it must be nice to be the pastor of fun and games. You know, (laughs) what what else? I mean, how much fun could that be? But, um, uh, you know. Sports, recreation, family stuff, is uh, I'm kind of jaded, I guess, but I, I just think as, uh, along with music, sports, recreation has to be the most powerful international language we have. And all you have to do is put a soccer ball out in the middle of a field and all of a sudden you have people to play with. And when you have people to play with, you have people to minister to, and you can and the, the, just the, the, the lessons and the life lessons that come out of uh, when you play together um, are just powerful, and uh, the God's lessons are just so easily meshed with that whole thing. And, and uh, so we're just really excited of what's to come in our families, our church family's life. I'm going to be hanging out here at the table. I uh, would love to meet you. One of the couple of things Jeff said, hey I'd like to have you do announcements uh, a good portion of the time. And, and he said, of course, you know, when you know when you do announcements, you don't want to like ramble on and, and you want to keep it short. But um, Stacy gave me the microphone and thank you, Stacy. So I, you know, captive audience here, I can say what I want to say because I have a microphone. But anyway, I'll be out there one of the couple of things i want to do immediately beyond getting the building ready to to occupy um i want to uh, recruit a group of of people it doesn't really matter how many but uh, that can be kind of the sports ministry team that can Mm -hmm. help me to pull off whatever we're going to pull off whatever that is and we can create it's brand new we can create it whatever we want to do so if you're halfway interested in being a part of that team um see me out there, and uh, we'll get to know each other. The other thing I want to do is just, just being a part of the church, I want to get to know you and to know what you're interested in. So I actually have a little sign-up thing out there. And I, I, I called it, What Floats Your Boat? Um, I, I, I just think it would be so powerful if we knew each other well enough to knew that know that we have like 10 people out here that love horses. We have some people that love motorcycles. We have some people that Love tiddly winks or whatever, and, and to get those people all kind of working together, working together, knowing each other, ministering together, and just enjoying church life together. And so, mm. um, come introduce yourself to Kim and me out there. We'd love to meet you and, and learn what floats your boat. And, and uh, I'm just real happy and excited about what the future. is great to have so, you, my friend. Thank you.
0: Great. All right. Uh, we, uh, we ended the last series, sad. Uh, but it's always fun to start a new series. And this morning we're beginning a new series called Follow the Leader. And I believe this series will really open up our eyes to the, so some new possibilities and, and maybe change the way we think about our faith. Maybe it's the first time you've ever walked into Grace Chapel or, you know, you've gone to church on and off and to you, church is more religious. Uh, it's kind of a religious thing that you do. You want to kind of check it off. And this series, I think, will truly change the way that you think about yourself as a spiritual being, as a, as a, as a person, and it'll change the way you think about Christianity. I truly believe that. You know, people will often ask me, you know, why does Grace Chapel engage in so many non traditional activities? You know, our business trees and things that we do, even the Grace Impact Center, a lot of churches are into those types of things, but why is it that we seem to do a lot of non traditional things within Grace Chapel? Well the answer is not very complicated. It really isn't. We have an incarnational philosophy of ministry. And you say, what the heck does that mean? I'll explain to you. That means when Jesus incarnate, God in the flesh, when Jesus walked on this earth, how did he do ministry? That's the question we need to answer. How did Jesus Christ do ministry when he was here? It's that simple. At Grace Chapel, we're basically just following the leader. We look at the life of Jesus Christ, not getting caught up in all the trends and all these kinds of things. We look at the life of Jesus Christ and we say, how can we follow in his footsteps, in our personal lives? Our goal as a church is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Again, I'll explain that to you. Uh, you know, this week I, I'm throwing out this this Christian language sometimes. People, go, ah. People say, I don't really know what that means. It means just being like Jesus. Who's ever the most like Jesus before we die wins, okay? That's the best way to put it. Conforming to the image of Jesus Christ means becoming more like him each and every day. That's our personal goal as a church. And I don't care if you've come to church for the second time or you've been here for for 11 years or whatever, that should be all of our goals. Where this may be a, you may be a baby here, kind of starting out as an infant and kind of working your way through this whole spiritual thing. You have no idea what's going on. You're kind of learning it. That's okay. That's your starting point. And your goal is to end up more like Jesus Christ. That's the that's the finishing point. Okay. So that's what it means to to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. When we interact with the world around us, we want to we follow his lead. How do we engage the world around us? We follow Jesus' lead. We walk in his footsteps, do the things that he did. And, you know, for some of you who don't know a lot about Christ, you think, well, gosh, you know, uh, my friends aren't going to relate to that very well, and blah, blah, blah. They will, and I'll tell you why. Because Jesus had the same message, but a different approach, depending on who he was talking to. He didn't walk into a crowd of people and give the exact same message. It just depended on who his, who his, uh, who his group was, the people that he was talking to. He, he talked to Pharisees and Sadducees, the rich, the poor, the afflicted, government officials, prostitutes, tax collectors, people engaged in the marketplace, people in the military. He had the same message, but a different approach, depending on who he was talking to. When he talked to prostitutes, he was more compassionate. Why? Because he they, he knew their hearts. They came crawling up to him in many cases. They knew they were sinners, and so Jesus, in love, just lifted them up and said, "Go." He said, "Go and sin no more." When he talked to Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day. He would call them a brood of vipers, you whitewash tombs. And you think, why would he why would he talk like that to the religious folks and talk like that to the to prostitutes? Because the religious folks of his day thought that they were they had it all down pat. They were really spiritual. They they didn't need anybody to tell them what to do. They didn't have a, a true, compassionate heart for, for the lost and the hurting. They basically thought that they were they were it, you know. They they had the, they kept the laws, and Jesus was saying to them, No, you're missing the boat here. And he wanted to shake them by the scruff of the neck and wake them up you don't have to wake up someone who's crawling over to you and saying i know i'm a sinner and jesus says yeah i know you're a sinner too but you know what i love you i have compassion on you go and sin no more so whether it was fishermen or farmers whoever it was jesus had the same message same message but a different approach in john 225 it says he knew what was in a man Okay, He knew what was going on in people's lives. Jesus could walk into a crowd of people and he would know, if he walked into the church right now, he would know your hurts, your hang-ups, you know what I mean? All these things, what happened to you in the past. He would know your personality. He would understand you. He knew all that. Unlike Satan, who we talked about last week, Jesus actually could read minds and hearts. He knew what was going on in people's lives. We saw this, we saw this, this kind of, this kind of ability or interaction with Nathaniel, with Nicodemus, with the woman at the well. Jesus could look into people's hearts, look into people's minds, look into people's backgrounds, and when he walked in and he talked to people, he knew what to say. He knew exactly what to say. There wasn't any guessing going on. He knew exactly how to approach them. In, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 47, he says, It says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He sees the guy coming and he knows, he knows his heart. He knows his heart right away. In John chapter 4, verses 15 through 19, we read this. This is about the woman at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, give me, some, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are now, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, said the woman, I can see that you are a prophet. It's just she's really, you know, she's really tuned in here. He just, told her, he, just, he just told her her life story. And she's like, I can see that you're a prophet. Yes, he is. More than that, he's God. He knew exactly what was going on in her life. He knew everything about her. So he spoke to her on that level. That's the one we follow. Follow the leader. That's how we should do our ministry. That's how we should live our lives. But the problem is we don't have that ability. We don't have that ability. So... We we need to under the way we understand our culture is to study our culture to try to understand people to engage in their lives to be to be involved in people's hurts to try to understand what they're going through and why they're going through it and what causes them to act the way they act now. Is it something in the past and you build that relationship and you begin to understand people and once you understand what people are going through you can meet their felt and spiritual needs a felt need is something that's just going on their lives today. Maybe someone's hungry in Africa or in uh, countries around the world, you can stand around and preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a good thing. But if people are starving, they won't be able to hear what you're saying. When you when you feed someone, you engage in their lives. You meet their felt needs. You earn the right to be heard, and that's what Jesus Christ wants us to do. When Deb and I were in youth ministry, we studied youth culture as much as we could, not as a hobby, something we just enjoy doing. We wanted to understand the students that were in our community, understand their, their, what they were going through, so we can meet their felt needs and then again earn the right to be heard, be a part of their lives. But we needed to understand what they were engaged in see you don't preach Christ the same way to a person who's in a punk band and the same the same way you would to an athlete someone who's really engaged in athletics they they speak two different languages you need to understand punks were and they're not I don't know how prevalent they are today as when i was in youth ministry but they were more anarchists you know what i mean they were opposed to you know the government and, and anything the church or whatever else but if you think about it look at jesus life he was always every time you turn around they picked up stones to stone him right if you truly understood that a punk was more of an anarchist and against the, 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 the flow of things, and you presented Jesus Christ to them in a way that said, "Hey, Jesus didn't walk around. Everybody thought he was so wonderful all the time. Every time he turned around, he was pushing on the establishment. He was pushing the establishment all the time. He wasn't. He didn't. He didn't kowtow to the government. He didn't kowtow to the to the, uh, to, the to the religious leaders of his day. He was always causing problems. It seemed like." And so to me, when you understand a culture, you can present Jesus Christ in a unique way to that culture, whether it's an athlete or a person's in a punk band, whatever it is, you need to understand who you're speaking to. Once you understand your audience, you are better equipped to share the love of Jesus Christ with those people in a way that they will understand. See, we we have a language. If you're in the church for more than a year, you pick up on the Christian jargon. And then you start to talk to people and they, they really, they're kind, and they smile at you, but many times they don't know what you're saying because you don't know the Christian jargon. I had two or three people this week say to me, you know, when you said that, I don't understand what you meant. I did, that, didn't, that doesn't register with me. And I realized, you know, we've got to be careful even with people within the church who don't know the Christian jargon or don't know the language. And I, I have to be most careful because of what I read and what I'm engaged in a lot of my day. But we all need to do that. That's one of the reasons we have a food pantry. You say, why have a food pantry and in a food pantry? You're learning a different culture. You're tr- you're understanding what people's felt needs are so that you can better meet their spiritual needs You don't talk to someone who is who is maybe from an economic standpoint in the in the, uh, below the poverty level The same way you talk to someone who has multi has multi-million dollars One is not better than the other, but i'm telling you. I grew up poor. So I'll, i'm on that end. Okay I grew up. I understand that culture when I walk into an apartment complex where people are living um, I I understand what they're going through understand what, what they maybe um, some of the, the hurts and, and things that they've been through, uh, how they're feeling so I can engage them on that level. Now, I, I've been ministering in an affluent area for a long time and I, I lived among affluent people for a very long time. So now I understand how to speak that language as well. But there's two different languages going on there. And we as Christians need to understand that one is not better than the other. We just need to understand there's a difference. During this series, I want to help you understand why we do as a church what we do, why we do what we do and how it all fits together. Because if you've been coming here for more than a couple of weeks and you hear about business trees and aquaponics and things we're doing over in the Grace Impact Center and the sports and you say, well, what's what's the direction here? There is a very clear direction and a reason that we do everything that we do. There's a purpose behind it all. And the purpose is described described to you right here. It's an incarnational philosophy. When Jesus was here walking the earth, how did he do ministry? We're just following our leader. Again, it's the reason we built the Grace Impact Center over here. It's the reason we hired a pastor of sports ministries. People who are into sports, and I mean passionate about sports, speak a different language than other people. It's just, it's not a, it's not negative. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. They just speak a different language. You need to be able to speak that language. When Jesus taught, listen, when Jesus talked to fishermen, what did he say? I will make you, did he talk about first, did he, the first thing did he bring up to fishermen, vines, seeds, branches, military metaphors, did he bring that up? No. No, I mean, did he know he, he could have if he wanted to, but he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And how did they respond? They dropped their nets and they followed him. Obviously, there was interaction going on, but Jesus knew how to talk to fishermen. He spoke their language. And, you know, when he's talking to farmers, he's probably bringing up vines and seeds and branches and grapes and all that kind of stuff. You know, they would, in, they would engage him in that conversation because he understood he, who he was speaking to. When he talked to military people, he brought up military metaphors. This is so important Every one of you is uniquely qualified to share the love of Jesus Christ within their sphere of influence. I am not at work with you. I'm not in your homes all the time. I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't go to school with you. I'm not in the lunchroom. I don't, I don't have interaction with you, the people that you do. You spend more time with people who need to know the love of Jesus Christ than I will ever spend. I just don't have the time being in my position to be in all those places, but I don't have to because you're there and you're uniquely qualified to minister to the people that God has put in your way. We, we all have a specific language plumbers, Electricians, computer programmers, I mean, I don't have, I have, I have no idea what you guys are saying, you computer programming guys. You stand there and kind of try to explain something to me, how you're doing this rewiring, and you're going to set this up, and it's going to do that, and, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's on the cloud, and the only thing clouds are clouds. You know, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? I have no, I just say, make sure that I can get my phone messages, and my email works, and that kind of thing. But I don't know what you're talking about. How am I going to really share the love of Jesus Christ with someone within your sphere of influence better than you can share it? You can use analogies. I don't even, uh, you know, you crack jokes and I don't even get the jokes. You know what I mean? I don't get it. The electrician started explaining to me what he has to do over here to get the play. All I said, all I care about is that it's legal and they give us occupancy. Okay? Do whatever you have to do. Okay? You're wasting your language on me. I don't understand it all. So everyone speaks this different language. You have the greatest opportunity to minister to those people because you understand the language. If it's a doctor or a teenager or a a stay-at-home mom or a working mom or whatever the case may be, you all have a different language and you're the best person to speak to people within your sphere of influence. Remember this. I said this this morning in the first service and someone walked out. They were just so excited because someone actually said this. Every member is a minister. Every, every single person here, every member is a minister. You have to grasp that. I'm not the, I'm the senior pastor of the church. I have a specific role. I have a specific authority that is given to me by the elders of the church and by God. And it's my responsibility to act a certain way and to, to, to do certain things. It's my role and responsibility. But that doesn't mean that you guys don't have a role and responsibilities. You are ministers of Jesus Christ. That every member of the church, every person in the church is a minister. Every member a minister. Just write that down. Get in your head. Every member a minister. Are you in, biz- are you in business? Man or woman, are you in business? Then you're a marketplace minister. That's what you are. If you're in business, you are a marketplace minister. Colossians 2, I mean Colossians 3:23 says whatever whatever get these words down whatever you do work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Are you in school? Are you in school? Then you are a campus minister. You say, "Well, I'm only in junior high or high school." I don't care. I, I, the Bible doesn't give a, you know, an age where you don't you can't minister to the people around you. You're a campus minister. Look what it says in 1 Timothy's, Timothy Timothy 4:11 through 13. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech. Listen to this. In life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. And when Paul said this to Timothy, Timothy was probably in his late teens. you, You get sold short way too much in the church. Teenagers, you do. God does not give you a pass to go through junior high or elementary school, junior high and high school and not serve him. You're a minister to your campus. You're responsible to minister to those that are around you in your lunchroom, in your classroom. You see someone sitting there who's hurting. You're responsible to go there and to don't you don't have to bring your Bible over and start reading scripture. Hey, how, how are you doing? I see that you kind of look kind of discouraged whatever. Oh, my, my parents are getting divorced. I just found out, whatever. All you have to do is say something like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. That's it. I'll make sure I pray for you. And then you show up maybe oh, a couple of days later and say, hey, are anything going? Oh, it's still hard. But I've been praying for you. That's all. You don't have to say anything else. You're a campus minister. You're there to minister to the people that God has placed within your sphere of influence. So if you're a businessman, if you're a student, if you're a lawyer. I got nothing for you if you're a lawyer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, if you're a lawyer, you know, you can, you can engage in, in people's lives like none of us can. You're involved. Other than a pastor, you hear the most garbage probably. You know what I mean? And what's going on and the difficulties and the stresses and the strains. You can be engaged in, in ministry in a much greater level than almost anyone else. Use the advantage that God has given you. No one person or a few people can do it all. That's why the body says, that's why the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, it reminds us just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who form many, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. All of us. The body of Christ. We all need to use whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever abilities, whatever, whatever, in our, we all need to use those to glorify God, all that God has given us. We need to be creative without compromise. All of us can use whatever gifts God has created within our sphere of influence without compromising being creative, be creative, use the creative mind that God has given you to reach out to a lost and hurting world as long as you don 't compromise that 's all that matters you can you can use whatever 's at your disposal just don 't compromise you know today today Christians talk in christian circles there 's a lot of talk in, in, in books that are written or, or seminars you go to or you listen to the radio about influencing or reaching culture. But the only thing I see being changed, the only thing i being transformed or whatever is us. We're the ones being reached and changed and transformed into the likeness of the world. We talk so much in the church about transforming our culture or reaching our culture or changing our culture. But I see the ones, the ones that are being changed. We're the ones being changed. The church is being changed. We need to be careful. We need to, we are not conforming Our culture, we're being conformed to our culture. That's a problem. That's a problem. God has given us so much to to work with, but something's wrong here because we're the ones being changed. You know, even in our large churches, I got to ask, I don't care how big the church is. I'm asking the question. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, are we truly as a small church, medium sized church, large church? Are we truly influencing culture or is culture influencing us? If you look, look, if you look and act like the culture that you're trying to reach, what have you accomplished if we as a church have to have to kind of like change who we are to become to look just like the world around us in order to get people to come to know Jesus, what have we actually changed? Where's the transformation? What have we accomplished? If I start to do and say things from the stage or from the pulpit, like telling off-color jokes, maybe maybe I come up here and you know I want to I want to get the church a little bigger and your friends will come if I tell a little some jokes that are a little off-color and people will say, yeah, I can relate to him, you know, I can relate to him because he. He's just like me. Maybe I'll come up here and do a few things, crack a beer, whatever, and say, tell a few dirty jokes, whatever else. And and, and if people say, well, yeah, he's just like me. And I'm not, don't get, oh, you're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to get drunk, okay? So don't get drunk you have a beer i'm not questioning that i'm saying if i get up here and i just act like and i use i use like some some foul language ever just to kind of get people to to accept me or to i I can appeal better to them I'm, I'm, i'm more appealing is it my job to appeal or transform that's the question as a pastor is it my job to make a crowd happy or a congregation holy that's the question we need to ask ourselves We can be creative, but we cannot compromise the word of God. We cannot compromise who we are. We cannot compromise what God has called us to do. When Jesus, listen, when Jesus came into an environment, he changed it, he transformed it, he redeemed it, he influenced it, and that's what God is calling us to do. So the question is, if if this incarnational philosophy is right, and when Jesus walked the earth and we're asking the question, how do we then follow our leader? How did Jesus do it? Let's follow the leader. And we all understand, none of, the, none of what I said to you this morning, is anybody totally confused about what I said? Jesus did it this way. Here's how we should do it. Love people, understand people so that we can better minister to those people. If we all understand that, and we're Christians, that's nothing, nothing mind-boggling. Then why are we not doing it, is the question. Why is it not happening within the church all over the world? To answer that question, I need to go back to a philosophy that I taught about a, a few months ago. Okay, And the philosophy is secular-sacred. It's a secular sacred philosophy. I want you to now put these two things together. Incarnational philosophy, when Jesus was here, how did he do ministry? No one disagrees that we should follow his lead. Anyone disagree? No, no one disagrees. So then why is it not happening within the church? It's because of this mindset that we have, this secular, sacred mindset. This secular, sacred is something that I need to, or God needs to, or combined through my encouragement to you. We need to beat this out of our mindset, the way we think. We need to. We have to do that because it's wrong. It's completely wrong. In Colossians 3, 8, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ, rather than a biblical worldview. Don't be taken captive by philosophies that are wrong. For those of you who missed what, I was, what I'm talking about right now a couple of months ago, let me kind of share an overview of this philosophy. Plato came up with it. And Plato thought that reality is made up of two parts the the material which is the secular and the spiritual which is sacred so you have secular sacred the material world is the realm of the physical the tangible it's it's not it's not lasting it's imperfect the spiritual is the realm of of the sacred you know the divine the the, the perfect the the permanent things in platonic thought the spiritual okay is, is more significant than it's considered superior to the material. For Plato, the goal in life was to kind of get most of the, 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 uh, this, the, the material stuff out of your life. And, this, and basically, he emphasized the spiritual realm, and he de-emphasized, and he de and, and he devalued the material realm. Now, understand, the Bible does say, don't, don't be caught up, you know, don't be like the world, all those kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about. In a biblical worldview, you either have things that are sacred or what? Say it louder. Sacred or sinful, sinful okay? The, when the Bible's talking about don't be like the world, don't get caught up in this, it's talking about the sinful, okay? The sinful. It's not talking about almost everything else that we do. All right. So Plato's saying we got to eliminate the uh, the material completely from our lives and and get more into, into the spiritual. Now, me as a pastor, because I am, I'm closer to the spiritual realm. I'm closer to the sacred realm because I have thoughts. I all my thoughts are of the divine, divine and of um, of beauty and of ideas and all the good things. So I have this. I'm more. I'm more. I'm sacred. I'm in a sacred world. Now the rest of you material girls and boys okay the rest of you are in the, sa- in, the, in, the in the in the the um the, the um secular realm okay cuz of course I'm the pastor so therefore I'm set apart by myself and everyone else is in the secular realm okay in other words you're christians but you're kind of s- Let's just be honest. You're second class citizens is what he's saying. All right. So you're second class citizens here. And, and, and the problem is that attitude has permeated, that philo- the philosophy has permeated the church. It's gotten within the church. And it's not a biblical truth. It's not true. Paul spoke against this aggressively. And you say, well, wait a second, Plato, Paul came before Plato. This is just a rehashed philosophy of Gnosticism. It's just a rehash philosophy, all right? And it comes back every thousand years. It's called something else. But Paul spoke against it in First Timothy 4, 1 through 5. He says this, "...the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith..." and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. A biblical worldview says something is either sacred or sinful. There's no place for secular. No place for it. Sinful or sacred? If something is not sinful, if you're not doing something wrong, then by definition, it's sacred. It's of God. God created it. God created all things. So what does Plato's philosophy look like day to day in our everyday lives? Well, in a, a job, for example, I'm the pastor, so my job is sacred. A prostitute would be a sinful, would be sinful, and working at Procter & Gamble would just be secular. So what this philosophy basically does is make sure that most of our time and energy is devoted to what? The secular. So most of you spend 98% of your time in the secular realm. It's all secular. Everything becomes secular. A biblical worldview says that is wrong. What this philosophy does is guarantee that we don't spend or use the gifts that we have for the Lord. This is why I'm telling you, you need to rethink You need to rethink this because it's completely and utterly wrong. Remember last week we, we talked about Satan and we said Satan wants to deceive us and so what, what better way to deceive the entire church? I mean, not just our church, but the church across the world. What better way to deceive the church than to make the church think that they're not a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. When the Bible says you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Do you think he's talking about the person on stage alone? Do you? No, no, we as the body of Christ or a royal priesthood, or a holy nation, a people belonging to God. It, what a great plan of the evil one to make us think that that's not true, that we're not those things. To get us to, 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 to steal, to rob us of our birthright, to rob us of our true identity, to rob us of our purpose and our, our destiny. What a great plan to rob us of all of those things. Most Christians, my friends, don't, don't even know who they are anymore. And they have no, they have, they have no understanding of how God can use them. How can I, I'm not really sure. Students walk around, high school students and junior high students walk around trying to find their identity. L- let me, I love you. Your identity is not in the people that you choose to hang around with. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do all kinds of cool things but your identity is in Jesus Christ because you you do those things in Christ. You use your sphere of influence in Christ. You engage people around you in Christ. You can do all kinds of cool things, but your identity is found in Jesus Christ and it permeates everything that you do. Think about that. Think about the lie that we've been taught. And now think about a biblical worldview. Think about a a, a incarnational philosophy. When Jesus is here, how did he do ministry? Think about the the difference between the two. And think about this too. I thought about this week. Jesus never did a secular thing in his entire life. Someone, you, challenge me after the service is over and tell me something secular that Jesus did. Jesus was a carpenter. So I guess Jesus Christ, when he was a carpenter, he, he, he went from the secular to the sacred when he stopped being a carpenter and went into full-time What? what come on, think about that. Jesus is God. He's perfect. He never did anything but anything. Everything he did was sacred, which means when he was a carpenter, he was doing something sacred, wasn't he? He wasn't doing anything sinful. There's no such thing as secular. So therefore, Jesus never did a secular thing in his entire life. Think of who you are. You are creative. Your, your creativity, your knowledge, your gifts, your talents, your abilities. And most of you are told you can't use those for God because they're secular. What? What? You have all, you, you guys are just brimming inside you. God has placed all these cool things that He wants. He created you. He's the one who created everything. He did it all. And you're being told, oh, you can't use those things. You can't use those things for God because they're secular. You know, some of you, some of you younger ones are rebelling against something that isn't even biblical. It isn't even biblical. You're saying, oh, I don't want to be a part of the church, or I'm rebelling against God because blah, 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 blah. When you should be rebelling against the world because they're the ones telling you can't do, you can't do, you can't do all the things you can't do. The Bible says you can't. It didn't say you can't do those things. It doesn't say you can't be engaged in this and this and this and sports and everything else you can possibly think of. The Bible doesn't say that. Plato said it. Jesus never said it. And so we're rebelling against something that's not even biblically true. Think about it. In their worldview, business is secular, the arts are secular. Science is secular. Education is secular. Politics is secular. Well, we got sports, we got arts, we got business, we got politics, we got all these things, all these things are secular. So, what a, what a, let's think about this. If you're, if there's an, a war going on for the souls of men, what a perfect, perfect plan. God is left with what? An hour and a half of your whole entire week. Right? What a perfect plan. You come here, you do your sacred thing, and then the next six days and whatever, how many, 20, you know, 22 and a half hours is spent in the secular world. What a perfect plan. The problem is God has a better plan, and that plan is to set His people free from the lie of the secular. That's God's plan, to, to redeem, to bring back, to take back, and to remind us, wait, this isn't true. None of this is true. Is business secular? Well, remember what Colossians 3.23 said? Whatever you do, listen to these words, whatever you do, do work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Is education or politics secular? Verse uh, Psalm 24 one says the earth is the Lord and everything in it. I wonder what Joseph would have said to this whole thing. I wonder what Joseph would have said to this argument that that if you're working for someone who's not a Christian or whatever else and it's secular, then your job is secular. Politics is secular. Education is secular. Politics, for example, if that's true, then Genesis forty one, forty one, we got a problem. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Sounds like a political position to me. King puts you in charge of the whole entire land of Egypt. And so Joseph, in the next verse, did not say this. I'm making this up. But Joseph said, Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I can't take that role. It's secular. No. Instead, Joseph knew that his position was sacred and he used his position. The Bible says he saved many lives. God used him. Isn't it interesting? Wait a second. He's working for a non believer. And he is worshiping and serving God. Hmm. Start reading through the Bible, you start going, wait a second. Jesus was a carpenter. Joseph was in charge of all of Egypt. Uh, this person did that, and, and he was a tent maker. And you go through all these things, you're saying, wait a second. That, well, I, I'm, believing, I'm believing something that's totally false. It's totally false. It's spo- are sports secular? Ask Tim Tebow if sports are secular. Before him, ask Anthony Munoz if sports is secular. Anthony got on the field every single Sunday and worshipped God. Now, he knocked people on their rear ends really, really well, but he just praised God. We knocked him down, though. He would just praise the Lord because he can knock him down better than other people. Tim Tebow, remember he, the black stuff you wear under your eyes to make sure there's no glare? He'd write John 3.16 or some verse in there. You know what the number one Google thing on the Internet that day was when Tim Tebow played on Saturday? Guess what? John 3.16. Number one Googled thing in the whole country was John 3.16. Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow would not say that sports are secular. He is worshiping God. It doesn't matter if he turns out to be the greatest quarterback who ever lived. Anthony Munoz certainly turned out to be the best offensive lineman who ever lived. And neither one of them was in a secular position. They worked, worshiped God. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, listen, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If Plato is right, then every church activity, anything we do in the church, aquaponics or business tree, everything we do within the church has no relevance to our culture. And that is completely opposite of, of what 1 Timothy 6 tells us. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. If it's not sinful, it's what? Say it louder. If it's not sinful, it's right? Everything for our enjoyment. God made it all. God made it all. Listen to me. if I can worship God playing guitar or listening to someone play guitar, I can worship God building a guitar. If I can worship God by playing one, I can worship God by crafting one. I'm a craftsman for Christ. Doesn't matter what you're a craftsman doing, you're a craftsman for Jesus Christ. Jesus was a carpenter. He worshipped and glorified God before he went into his public ministry. He never did anything secular in his life. God created everything. The Bible says God saw, listen, all. all, God saw all that was made and it was not just, it was half decent, it was very good. Genesis one thirty one. God saw all that he made, he made and it was very good. Satan can't create anything, he only corrupts and steals what is already created. And what I'm saying to you is that Jesus Christ is calling us to redeem what has been taken from him. Satan owns none of it. He didn't create any of it. It's not, it only is corrupted. He steals sex. He steals music. He steals dancing. He steals it all. God, the, the people in the Bible were dancing all the time, playing instruments, doing all kinds. Of, they had drums. They were doing it all. And all of a sudden, the church, they would, they would hang you from the nearest tree outside 25 or 30 years ago or 40 years ago if you played drums in a church, hang you from a tree. But the Bible said they played drums. Praise the Lord with the cymbals. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Praise the Lord with this. With Wait a second. Why were you chasing people out of the church if they wanted to play the drums in church? Because that's, it's wrong. It's secular. Why are you talking about? They do that out there. They stole it from God. So why can't we play? We got, we got, some, of the best, we got some of the best musicians in Cincinnati who play on stage every single Sunday. Some of the best musicians glorifying God with their gifts and abilities. If you have those gifts and abilities, they belong to God. Wall Street, my friends, will change when Jesus Christ occupies their hearts. That's when, you know, it's amazing to me. You know, people talk about, oh, you can't legislate morality. I bring up abortion to people. Oh, you can't legislate morality. Well, you're trying to do it down on Wall Street with greed, aren't you? You should change those people. Shut them all down. Carry on. We should pass laws. Wall Street is not wrong. Making money is not wrong. Investing is not wrong. When you start to cheat people and lie and do all it, uh, that's sinful. It's not secular. It's not secular. You can be a Wall Street. You can be a. You can be a person who trades on Wall Street seven days a week. And you can be a godly person. Wall Street will change. Our business. Our business mindset will change when Jesus is the one who's occupying their hearts. Where is your sphere of influence this morning? And how are you going to use that sphere of influence to change people's lives, to share the love of Jesus Christ with them? On November the 13th, I'll be at Veritas at six um, to talk to the high schoolers about what this means for your life. Please, I don't care if you go to Veritas or not, you've never been there, please go on the 13th so that Brian and I can be there and share with you what this looks like. What this what this looks like for you guys for you guys in high school We've lived in plato's world long enough It is time to live in jesus world Are you a christian? Are you a follower of jesus christ? And first john 2 6 says whoever claims to live in him must walk as jesus did This series is called follow the leader And plato is not our leader other philosophies are not what we follow. Other people come up with other things. They're not our leader. Our leader is Jesus Christ. He's the only one we should be concerned about, the only one we should care about when it comes to how we live our lives. Listen, in a nutshell, God has placed in everyone, and just, oh, hold, just kind of open up, your, hold your hands up like this for a second, okay? Close your eyes and hold your hands out. God has placed in every one of your hearts, every one of your minds, all these different gifts and talents and abilities. I mean, whether it's sports or science or, or, you know, or, or the arts or whatever it is, he's placed all these gifts and abilities and talents all in you. You own them all. They're all there. And the world is telling you that you can't use them for God because they're, quote, secular, which doesn't even exist in the Bible. Now, let me read you a passage of scripture. I want you to take this to heart. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 says this, For this reason I remind you, listen to the words, to fan. I want you, all of you, to fan into flame the gifts of God which is in you. The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. My friends, you have your hands up. God has placed all those gifts, talents, and abilities in you. They're all waiting to come out. And what God is saying to you is that you need to fan into flame the gift of God. My job over the next few, a month and a half here is to fan the flame for what God has given you. To open up your eyes, open up your mind, open up your heart that you are more than the person who's sitting in this seat right now. You don't need to be confused. You know who you are. You know whose you are. And I'm going to open up a world to you you've never seen before. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to Him. And He wants you to use it to impact this world with the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your word. I pray, dear God, as hard as it's going to be, that we would push out of our minds the lies that we've been told and that you would truly set us free. Lord, nothing I have spoken today is anything new or profound or confusing. We know it's true, Lord, but we're told something we're told the opposite by a world that wants to hold us in one place, that wants to keep you at bay. Lord God, I want to unleash this church. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord God, that people would read the word with a new sense of understanding. And as they read and as we, as we speak the word, as we sing songs of praise, that this reality would permeate our lives, that you would change us from the inside out, that we use everything at our disposal to bring the kingdom of God forward in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a good great-